What a weird game that was on Saturday at Northwestern where Ohio State won 21-7. to Certainly not the game that we had uh, forecast for Ohio State going into that game, but a lot of it had to do uh, with the forecast and, and the weather on Saturday in Evanston because that wind was pretty crazy, Griffin. And uh, I certainly underestimated the impact that weather it had on, would have on that game. You know, I can think back to so many other times where, you know, going into a game, you know, people would be freaking out about the, the potential for weather. And then generally it hasn't had a major impact on the game, but you know, this, this, this was different Griffin, but the weather that, that, you know, we experienced in Evanston on Saturday, I think unless you were there, you probably can't fully comprehend just how windy it actually was because really, I don't know about you, Grim, but like I didn't even really realize how windy it was until we were walking out of a stadium. And then it's like, you know, my, my hood's flying up and, you know, it's like hard to even walk in this wind. Then I realized I'm like, yeah, no wonder CJ Stroud completed less than half of his passes today because I don't know how anybody would, would throw a football in this. Yeah, it's really hard to reconcile like, how much of it was Ohio State having a bad day versus how how much the weather impacted them, right? Because, you know, l- like you said, even us in the press box, people were asking me, was the weather really that bad? And I was like, I mean, I wasn't on the field during the game, so I, I really can't speak, you know, completely to to how just how bad the weather was. But I think just looking at, you know, C.J. Stroud's early attempts to throw the ball really throughout the game, Dan, I mean, there was a there was a lot of dropped passes, like passes that the guys usually sure-handed targets for Ohio State just couldn't pull in. There were passes from C.J. Stroud that were just very inaccurate, you know. And I think you know a lot of that has to be attributed to the wind. Although I, I definitely can understand you know fans being frustrated with the performance and being like, oh, Ohio State's just using the weather as an excuse. But I certainly think there there's definitely some validity to just how much the weather impacted that game. Yeah, I mean. I think in a passing game, it's it's not an excuse. And I think, you know, particularly on the deep balls, I think you could see that CJ just didn't have any control on those balls because, you know, trying to throw the ball, you know, 30, 40 yards down the field in that wind, it, it was just almost impossible. So I, I don't I don't think from a passing standpoint, it, it's an excuse. And I and I think it's it's reality for Ohio State that, you know, Ohio State has an offense that's built largely around its ability to pass the ball. It's very explosive passing game, and that typically opens things up in the running game. And that didn't happen on Saturday. You know, North Northwestern knew as well as Ohio State did that you know Ohio State couldn't pass the ball the way it normally does in that game. And so Northwestern was stacking the box, and that made it more difficult for Ohio State to be able to run the ball. Now, with that being said, Ohio State's run game has not looked very good in three games in a row. And so I think, you know, when we talk about the game that we saw on Saturday, you know, I I think we have to parse a lot of this into, okay, like what's what's real? What can we really take away from this game? And what are the overreactions? What are the things that, you know, you know, in this game, it was just it's a it's a weird game. I mean, I certainly get the vibe from talking to Ryan Day that he isn't overly concerned about Ohio State struggling with Northwestern because of the fact that the weather was, in his words, extreme. And he said he had never coached a game in conditions like that. And so I think, you know, Ohio State's level of concern with some of the things that fans might be concerned about uh, is probably not as high. But I, I do think if we look specifically at the run game, if a rushing offense, I think that is a genuine concern for Ohio State right now because you know we saw it in the oh, Iowa and Penn State games. Uh, Ohio State was held under 100 rushing yards in both those games. The numbers ended up being better on Saturday. Ohio State ran for 207 yards on 35 carries. I mean, those overall are pretty good numbers. And so... Ohio State was ultimately able to make the plays that it needed to make 
to win the game. But, you know, if, if you look at, you know, especially early in the game, some of the struggles they had, particularly on traditional run plays, you know, particularly short yardage situations, you know, several times where, you know, third and fourth and one, they're trying to run the ball and, you know, Mayan Williams just got stopped and they, he didn't get anywhere. So, you know, I think those things are, are valid concerns to look at. And, you know, with three weeks now being a pattern of where, you know, Ohio State just isn't able to get things going in, you know, the traditional run game, you know, the way that they were early in the year. And I think certainly that is a troubling trend for Ohio State. Yeah, like you said, this is the third week that Ohio State's had real issues on the ground. But in Tuesday's press conference, Ryan Day definitely spoke at length about the issue, um, you know, more than he has in recent weeks, because I think we're starting to see it, you know, become a, a kind of a trend here for the Buckeyes. And like, you know, like like you said, 207 yards, Ohio State gets over that that 200 yard mark for the first time since before the bye week. Um, but but the, the numbers are a little bit skewed, right? Because CJ Stroud had to run the ball in that game. And, you know, if you take out Stroud's 44-yard run uh, at the end of the game and, and Mayan Williams' 27-yard touchdown run, the numbers do not look nearly as good. I think if you take out uh, Mayan Williams' 27-yard touchdown run, he might have only averaged like three, three-point-something yards per carry in that game. Um, you also have to, to think about Travion Henderson being out again for the Buckeyes as well. They've had injury concerns on and off with their two top running backs, which is, you know, necessitated Chip Tranum coming over from linebacker to, to be there. Although we didn't see Dallin Hayden and, and Chip Tranum in that game, you know, taking carries like we thought we might. But yeah, Dan, I mean, the run game is a concern. And, and that's the thing you're talking about. Like, even with the wind, even with the weather, Ohio State, you know, should have been able to run the game against Northwestern because like, like we talked about coming into this week, Northwestern was the worst run defense Ohio State faced all year in terms of national rank. They ranked 109. And for Ohio State to still look very bad. I mean, on, on third downs, Dan, Ohio State finished four for 15. You know, obviously all, not all of those being run plays necessarily, but two for four on fourth downs. Ryan Day said the at the top of his list in terms of disappointments about the run game on Saturday, those short yardage situations were a big part of it. And that's why I think, Dan, we're, we're starting to talk about, you know, some offensive line issues and, and maybe some some guys in particular that, that are dealing with some injury issues um, and, and that being part of kind of this, you know, uh, little run here for Ohio State where they can't get the run game going. Yeah, I mean, I think certainly the offensive line's performance in the run game has not been as strong as it was early in the year. You know, I think, you know, you know, I think particularly at those guard spots, you know, I thought, you know, early in the year, I thought, you know, Donovan Jackson, Matt Jones were, you know, a big upgrade in those spots. I, I think, you know, in recent weeks, uh, you know, particularly of Jones, who, you know, it seems like he's been dealing with some kind of injury, you know, just hasn't been, you know, as strong in, in that regard. You know, I think, you know, I think, you know, even the tackles as well, you know, like I think, you know, I think Paris Johnson is a fantastic pass blocker. I, I think he's an okay run blocker right now, in my opinion. Like, I, I think that, you know, you see some good moments from him, but I don't know that he's consistently dominant in, in the run game. Uh, so, you know, I, I think certainly, uh, you know, there's, there's work to be done there. Um, and I think, you know, certainly, you know, people are starting to have some questions now about, you know, Justin Fry and all that, you know, I mean, Ohio state had a, Ohio state had similar struggles in a run game late last season and, and Greg Stadrawa got fired for it. And so, you know, I think people are starting to ask those questions now about, okay, what's up with the offensive line? Why isn't, you know, Justin Fry getting more out of those players. You know, I think what we have to see is, you know, has, how does Ohio State respond to this over the next few games? And, and again, I think, you know, it is important, again, to point out the fact that, you know, again, they, they really couldn't pass the ball. Northwestern was stacking the box. And so, you know, that made life more difficult on the offensive line in this game. But, uh, you know, certainly, you know, we kind of, you know, we went into the Penn State game thinking, okay, this might be an opportunity to get the run game back on track, and it didn't happen. We go into the Northwestern game thinking this might be an opportunity to get the run game on track, and there was clearly still struggles in that area. And so, uh, you know, this is a this is an offensive line and a run game as a whole that certainly needs to get some momentum going with that Michigan game coming up at the end of the month because you just think about a game where, you know, being able to run the ball is going to be really important uh, that's certainly at the top of a list, especially, you know, if the way we saw Ohio State, you know, really get dominated in the trenches last year, 
in, in that game. I think that's what, you know, that's what, that's the big question on Ohio State fans' minds right now is you, you see a game like that and go, oh crap, if there's bad weather in the shoe on November 26th, are, are we in trouble? And, you know, that's a valid question. It, it certainly is a valid question right now. You know, I, I think, you know, you, you certainly would hope that the weather is not going to be that bad. And I think my sense is that Ohio State still feels like, you know, that was extreme weather. I think Ohio State still feels like it can succeed in bad weather as long as it's not that bad. But, you know, I certainly do think that it's it's a valid question, you know, based on what we saw in the Michigan game last year, you know, based on what we saw on Saturday, that, you know, this is an Ohio State team that certainly does seem to be more built to play in ideal weather conditions. And and when you don't have that, you know, we, we see that Ohio State, uh, certainly on the offensive side of a ball, you know, is not as effective. The one, you know, big positive we can take away on offense is the fact that C.J. Stroud showed he can be a weapon with his legs when needed, running for a career high 79 yards, a couple, I think, of the most important plays in the game. His, his you know, 44-yard run that you mentioned, that led to the game-sealing touchdown. Uh, I think even more important than that was, you know, earlier in the, earlier in the game, you know, they're facing fourth and one. You know, and I think, you know, you're probably in the same boat as me. I'm watching that play from the press box, and I got faked out by it because I'm, I'm fully expecting they're going to hand the ball off to Mayan Williams in that situation because that's what they had been doing all game. But uh, they end up running a read option. C.J. Stroud reads the defender, takes off into open space, uh, converts that fourth and one, and then a couple plays later, Emeka Buka uh, gets a run for uh, the first touchdown of the game for Ohio State. And so that was a really important play. And I think C.J. just showing that he can do that in general was was really important. Um, you know, I, I also was kind of glad that Ryan Day admitted what I think uh, I certainly felt like I knew all along, which is that he doesn't want C.J. Stroud to run the ball unless he has to, you know, and I think there's been so many questions about C.J. Stroud's, you know, quote unquote, willingness to run the ball. And, you know, I I had said when this came up a few weeks ago that I thought the reality was that, you know, Ryan Day just doesn't really want him to run the ball because he knows how catastrophic an injury to C.J. Stroud would be. And so he he wants to avoid that risk. But in this game, he had no choice but to utilize C.J. Stroud as a runner. And, you know, he showed he could do that. And, and Ryan Day, you know, seemed open more to the possibility on Tuesday of, you know, Stroud potentially running the ball more now that he's shown he can do it. I, I still think he's going to be cautious but I think the big the big thing because I had already wondered it going into that game was you know was the CJ Stroud run package something that maybe Ohio State was saving up for that Michigan game and I think it's interesting that he chose to admit after the game that they typically don't want CJ Stroud to run because in the past when he's been asked about it he's he's kind of just given a non-answer kind of if he needs to run, he'll run. We're, you know, we're happy with what he's doing, but if he needs to run, we'll run. This is really the first time that I've ever heard him say, we don't typically want C.J. Stroud to run. And knowing that Ryan Day is usually calculated about what he says, that makes me think, hmm, maybe maybe he's trying to plant that seed out there of it. We don't, we don't typically want uh, C.J. Stroud to run in hopes that Michigan will believe that. Yeah, I think the the most interesting thing on on Tuesday in Tuesday's press conference about that whole topic was Ryan Day, you know, not kind of shying away from that and, and kind of saying, you know, "CJ's embraced the fact that that he might have to run the ball." And that I think Ryan Day said, uh, "We might be onto something there. We might have found something there, or something like that." And and I tweeted that out, and it's gotten a a lot of responses from fans that that are claiming, you know, oh, we we've known that for a year now, and oh, it only took Ryan Day a year and a half to. To realize that, and, and I think it is a very interesting question about whether or not Ryan Day and company were, were planning on bringing some of that out against Michigan. Um, but but I don't think that it necessarily, you know, spoils anything in that regard. Just because you know, if there is a threat 
of CJ Stroud to run, then it's another thing to prepare for for a defense anyway. And so, you know, maybe a team is expecting it where they weren't before, but at the same time, it's still another thing the defense will have to think about going into the matchup. Now, I don't think we're going to see CJ Stroud running a whole lot these next two weeks, Dan, I wouldn't think, unless we have another kind of surprisingly close game against Indiana or Maryland. Um, But I certainly think against Michigan, a a game that should be closer in a hardly a hardly contested battle that we could see C.J. Stroud showing off those wheels again. You know, he, he had that touchdown run against Michigan last year that ended up getting uh, called back, as you guys might remember. Um, but but certainly, yeah, like you said, when on that that fourth and one, that was a perfect example of no one's expecting the Stroud run in that situation. And, and that faked all of us out. And uh, I think Ohio State could be able to get to get some teams with with something like that in the future as well. Yeah. I and mean, I think sometimes people get a, a little too angry by taking everything that the coaches say literally and not understanding that, you know, a lot of what they say, you know, particularly when it's related to future game plan kind of stuff is uh, coach speak and not uh, not exactly fully forthcoming. And, you know, where that's about, you know, injuries or cer- certain things that they say, you, know, you got you got to kind of be able to parse through those things and understand that, you know, they say they say or don't say certain things for a reason. So, I mean, I, I, I think Ryan Day knew what C.J. Stroud was capable of as a runner. You know, I think, you know, now again, I think the fact that he's shown he can do it in an actual game, I do think that means something. You know, I think you're going to have more confidence doing it in future games because you've seen it in a game. But, you know, do I necessarily think that I mean, I'll say this, I, like, again, I, I don't think that we're going to suddenly start to see C.J. Stroud running the ball a ton every game just, just because he did it on Saturday and that, that sparked some you know, big idea in Ryan Day's mind. I still think Day is going to want to be cautious with Stroud when he can. But again, when you think of games like that Michigan game or you think about potential you know, college football playoff games where games could be very tight and you need to use every weapon at your disposal to win the game, I think certainly those are situations where we could see C.J. Stroud do more of his legs again because certainly I think it did do what a lot of fans have theorized it would do. You know, I think if you look at the running stats before that fourth and one play and if you look at the running stats after that fourth and one play, they were a lot better after the fourth and one play because once you introduced the threat of C.J. Stroud running the ball – now Northwestern has to account for another player on defense. And I think that helped open things up for Mayan Williams as well. And so that is the big reason why so many fans have wanted to see CJ Stroud run the ball more. You know, I remember someone mentioning, you know, Josh Perry bringing up that point a few weeks ago and saying that, you know, he needs to run it more to open things up for the run game. And I think we saw that at Northwestern. And so I think, you know, those fans that have those those points that have been made by fans for a long time about C.J. Stroud running the ball, I think those were validated by what we saw at, at Northwestern, without a doubt. I also do not blame Ryan Day at all for not wanting to run C.J. Stroud a lot because he is the most important player on the team. If he gets hurt, Ohio State's chances of achieving its goals decrease significantly. And when we saw it, we saw it happen two years ago where – You know, Justin Fields had an incredible game against Clemson, but he was injured in that game. And in the national championship game, you know, basically he wasn't able to practice leading up to the national championship game. And he wasn't very effective in the national championship game because he was hurt. And so I think the logic of wanting to minimize the number of hits that CJ Stroud takes is sound logic. I, you know, I also think that if you need to run him to win the game, then you need to do it. And, you know, The good thing now is you have put it on film now to where defenses are going to have to account for it at least slightly. That being said, like if this week's game against Indiana goes the way it's supposed to go, I don't think they're going to be dialing up run plays for CJ Stroud. And before we we move on to the defense a little bit here, Dan, in this game, uh, another kind of concerning trend here for the Ohio State offense is just these slow starts, right? Because, you know, we, we talked about the last couple of weeks, Ohio State ended up getting rolling against Iowa and Penn State and still putting up big point totals despite these slow starts. Uh, That wasn't necessarily the case against Northwestern. They did end up scoring, you know, 21 points, but that is far, far below Ohio State's season average. Obviously, you know, put the asterisk on there for the weather um, on all this stuff. But if you just look at it, Dan, 
Um, you know, one touchdown in ten in the first ten possessions of, against Iowa, one touchdown in the first nine possessions against Penn State, and then no touchdowns in the first six possessions against Northwestern. And of course, you know, like we said, the weather that has a lot to do with it in this particular game. But three times in a row now, it's certainly something um, that that Ryan Day and company are going to want to remedy. I'm, I'm sure they will want to have a a, a bigger, more explosive start to the game. Um, you know, the, the type of start that we, we've been accustomed to seeing from this Ohio State team prior to this most recent stretch after the bye week. Yeah, I, I think, you know, that is a valid concern for sure, because, again, it, it comes down to Ohio State was able to get away with slow starts against Iowa and Penn State and, and Northwestern. There will come competition later in the season where Ohio State can't get away with that. They're gonna, there's going to come games later in the season where if Ohio State, you know, scores one touchdown in the first half, it's it's not going to win the game. Uh, that's certainly something that I think, you know, is a point of emphasis based on what Ryan Day said Tuesday. It needs to be a point of emphasis uh, because, you know, you know, slow starts are going to happen, but the uh, the goal obviously is to avoid them happening in a game where you can't afford them to happen. And, and Dan, let's talk about the, the defense here because they hold Northwestern to seven points. Um, those seven points came in the first quarter. After that, Dan, the defense blanked the Wildcats but it certainly seemed like they were more threatening than that, and perhaps the defensive performance wasn't quite as good as the that final scoreboard would indicate. You know, Northwestern ended up outgaining the Ohio State offense. That's actually the second straight week now that the, the, the opponent has outgained Ohio State in terms of total yards on offense. Northwestern finishing with 285. Of course, you know, the, the passing game for Northwestern wasn't much more effective than C.J. Stroud and Ohio State. They finished with 79 yards um, on the ground for Northwestern. They finished with 206 yards. A lot of Wildcat used also, Dan, by the Wildcats. Um, some some quarterback run as well. I know Jim Knowles was not very happy with how Ohio State defended the quarterback run um, against Northwestern. And, you know, Ohio State might have some, some bigger threats in that department, you know, as we go along here. Yeah, I mean, I think just looking at Northwestern outgained Ohio State, I don't think that really means anything. I mean, Northwestern ran 15 more plays than Ohio State did. So I, I, don't, I don't think that, you know, Northwestern outgaining Ohio State by two yards really means anything. I mean, the over, I mean, the overall numbers for Ohio State's defense in this game were good. I mean, again, first time Ohio State has held an opponent to single digits all year, only allowed one touchdown. That's a good day. When you, when you only allow one touchdown, you know, overall, that's a good day. I think uh, the stat that Jim Knowles was particularly proud of was that Ohio State went, oh, Northwestern attempted four f- fourth down and Ohio State allowed zero conversions. So uh, that's a huge stat that, you know, those fourth down plays when Northwestern was trying to extend drives. And, uh, you know, I, I respect I respect Northwestern going for those plays because I think, you know, sometimes you see teams play overly conservative against Ohio State. I think Northwestern knew it's like, We've got to try to make we've got to try to make things happen here on these fourth downs if we're going to have a chance uh, to beat Ohio State. And so, you know, they went for it. But Ohio State did not allow those fourth downs to be converted. And that and that's huge. Uh, I think, you know, the two stats that stood out to me and what I asked Jim Knowles about on Tuesday was uh, on third downs. Northwestern went nine of 20. And again, as we talked about, you know, not much of a passing day. But if you kind of look at how those third downs went now, six of them were runs. Four of them were on quarterback runs. Jim Knowles also, you know, made the point of the ones that happened in the past. A lot of that had to do with the fact that the defense was expecting run. And so they were kind of, he had kind of coached them to look for a run. And then they were having trouble, the DBs were having some trouble, you know, transitioning back into pass because they were, they were focused on going downhill and playing the run, but they were having some trouble you know, transitioning back into pass coverage. And that led to, you know, giving up some of those third downs through the air. Uh, But, you know, if you look statistically, uh, percentage-wise, 45%, you know, that was Ohio State's second worst third down conversion rate this year. And so, uh, you know, that's an area Ohio State's been strong. I think Ohio State's still 12th in the country right now in third down defense. Uh, But, you know, that's an area where certainly I think Ohio State has some stuff to clean up. And, you know, specifically that quarterback run game. You know, I thought... Brendan Sullivan did a really good job of using his legs in, in, in this game. And I thought, you know, Ohio State had some trouble containing that at times. Uh, and I think, again, you know, again, you know, so much of us keeps going back to that, that Michigan game at the end of a month. Uh, you know, J.J. McCarthy's a threat with his legs, too. So I think that is an area that I look at and say, OK, th- there's a little bit of a red flag here uh, because I think if Ohio State can't clean that up, 
that is an area, you know, I think if, if I was Michigan watching that film, that's probably something I would try to exploit right now in Ohio State's defense. You know, they, they had some trouble with Daquan Finn too early in the year. Uh, I, 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 I would say that if I was an opposing offensive coordinator, I had a quarterback that could run. That's something I would try to exploit because to me, it appears to be one of the defense's biggest vulnerabilities. I think everyone wanted to see how JT was going to follow up his obviously an insane performance against Penn State this week. I mean, if anyone was expecting him to replicate that performance, you know, there were probably, that was wishful thinking on the behalf of a lot of Buckeye fans, but he still ended up with a solid game, Dan. He actually almost, you know, had another pick six on the, on the what was it, the very first drive for Northwestern, ends up batting it down the line of scrimmage, finishes though with, with a tackle for loss, four tackles. Uh, Tommy Eichenberg had another huge game in terms of racking, just racking up tackles this season, 13 total tackles, 10 solo tackles, a tackle for loss. Ronnie Hickman with a big game. He had a nice uh, stop on a, a third, maybe a fourth down, third or fourth down. Uh, ten tackles for him. Who else, Dan, here? Uh, Je- Jesse Murko also, for, and then special teams had a big day for Ohio State. Averaged uh, 45.8 yards on his six punts. Had a 64-yard punt. Uh, two of those down inside the 20. Um, so those just a, a few standout performances. Teron Vincent as well c- continues to have um, an impactful season on the interior of that Ohio State defensive line. And I know Jim Knowles was really um, raving about Vincent, this uh, Vincent's what, what he's done this season in Tuesday's press conference. Yeah. And I thought, I thought JT played another really good game, you know, almost had that pick six, you know, made a tackle for loss where a guy was you know pretty clearly holding, holding one of his arms and he made to play with one hand. So, you know, I think JT has really started to establish himself as a, again, that quote unquote alpha dog on the defensive line. I think we're seeing, uh, JT really start to become that, uh, you know, Teron Vincent, like you mentioned, uh, had a really good game. Him and Hickman were Ohio State's defensive players of the game. So I thought, you know, those two in particular were, you know, the standouts up front for Ohio State in, in this game. And, you know, Hickman, like you mentioned as well, I think he's a guy we've seen here in the last couple of weeks now that, you know, Ohio State has faced a little bit more adversity, but I think we've seen his value you know, rise, rise to the forefront a little bit more, you know, whereas maybe, you know, a Lathan Ransom or Tanner McAllister or maybe making more plays early in the year. I, I think we've seen in some of these, you know, closer, more competitive games that Hickman's really been the guy who has really ro- risen to the occasion and, you know, still a guy, in my opinion, who's right up there, maybe the most reliable player on the defense is just a guy who's not always flashy, like he hasn't really made any massive plays this year, but just just seems to consistently do his job well week in and, and week out. And, and I thought he was very key in this game. You know, like you mentioned, I thought, you know, Jesse Marco, I mean, but you consider how how bad the wind was, I think, is w- how well he handled it. Uh, that was a fantastic performance for him. You know, I, I, I was looking at the stats the other day. If he would have the fourth best punting average in the country this season, except that he doesn't qualify for punting average because until this game on Saturday where he had to punt the ball seven times, he hasn't had to punt punt very much. But, you know, he's been consistently great this year, I think, when Ohio State has had to call on him. You got to you got to give some love to Mason Arnold as well. This is a guy who was in just his second game as Ohio State's starting long snapper. Ryan Day mentioned it, but like even on offense, he was concerned at times about the ball being snapped over CJ's head just because of how bad the wind was. So for Mason Arnold to be as reliable as he was as a long snapper in that game, you, you got to give him credit. And then another guy on special teams that continued to catch my eye is Caden Curry. He had two tackles in kickoff coverage, including one inside the 20 yard line. I mean, you just don't very often see a defensive end making a tackle in kickoff coverage at the 18 yard line. So uh, I've been you know really impressed by what I've seen from Caden Curry and in, in that role. And obviously he hasn't playing a ton on defense yet, but you know, he's a guy that I just I continue to look at as, you know, a, a buy stock in that guy kind of player because he he certainly uh, is making the most of his opportunity on special teams. And Dan, I feel like we're kind of like this game has kind of been branded as like Ohio State versus the weather more than it has been Ohio State versus Northwestern. I think we should tip our cap to Northwestern as well, because I think a lot of people were, were thinking, you know, calling Northwestern. You know, the worst team in the Big Ten, they ha- they haven't won a game, you know, on American soil and a lot of jokes like that are a very long losing streak that, you know, they, they still added to at the end of the day on Saturday. But, you know, you look at it, Brendan Sullivan, at quarterback for Northwestern, did have a more efficient day passing the ball 
than C.J. Stroud, even in the same weather conditions. Evan Hull ended up with a, with over 120 yards and a touchdown, you know, in the running game. Um, on defense, made, made some plays as well. So you kind of have to to think that that's a performance that Northwestern can be proud of, given their pretty poor season when you look at the overall record. Yeah, I mean, you got to give credit where due. Like, I just think they were they they were better than I expected they would be. Uh, you know, I thought you know you know Sullivan really made some nice plays at quarterback. Uh, you know, I, I was impressed by him, you know, especially considering the elements in that game to make some plays of his legs. I mean, he made a couple of nice plays or he was, you know, eluding a pass rush and then completing a pass. You know, obviously kind of hard to evaluate anybody as a passer in that game. But I thought, you know, given the conditions of a game, I thought he handled it really well. And I thought I don't want to butcher his name, but out of a uh, the defensive lineman for Northwestern, that that's the best game I've seen probably any defender play against Ohio State this year. I mean, we talked about the struggles on the offensive line, but I fought out of Boware. Uh, he's a guy, he was lining up a defensive end some plays, lining up a defensive tackle some plays. You know, he 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 was making plays from all over the line. So, you know, got to give that guy credit. You know, he's a, he's a guy who I think is probably a, you know, day two kind of NFL draft prospect. And I think that's a performance uh, that when NFL scouts watch it is, is going to really help his draft stock. So, you know, I think, you know, I think when Ohio State plays a lot of these teams, people look at it and go, man, like this team has inferior talent to Ohio State. Like Ohio State should just uh, destroy them. And that's, you know, again, I mean, Ohio State was a 38 point favorite going into the game. So it's certainly uh, more than fair to expect that Ohio State should have won the game by more than 14 points. But I, I also think that the other team may not have as many good players as Ohio State, but they, they still have some good players. Like they still have, you know, they're, they're still. Uh, Big Ten players over there, and there's a few players on that team who are, you know, certainly going to be NFL players. And I think uh, Adebowari in particular was one who really uh, showed that on Saturday. And, and as much as fans were probably not too thrilled with the performance, Dan, you, you look at what else happened around the country, you know, after that game, and you know, th- th- there's certainly some some still reason, many reasons for Ohio State fans to be happy with the season so far. I mean, Ohio State's one of only four remaining unbeaten teams in college football. It's still the only team that's won every game it's played this year by double digits, um, still leads the entire country in points per game. And even C.J. Stroud, I mean, after having the, his worst game as a passer, you know, in college as a, as a starting quarterback for Ohio State, he still has the best odds right now to win the Heisman Trophy because Hendon Hooker's team lost and, and he didn't look very good. Bryce Young, Alabama suffers a second loss. So if there was a weekend for Ohio State to not look great and for C.J. Stroud in terms of the Heisman race to not look, you know, all world, it was certainly this weekend because there was a lot of surprising uh, things that happened. Yeah, I mean, we got to we got to keep this thing in perspective, right? Like, I I understand. I, I understand that, you know, people, you know, I understand people getting nervous, like they see a bad performance and they go, oh, man, we're not gonna be able to beat Michigan. We're not gonna be able to beat Georgia or whatever. But you know, every every team has stinkers, right? I mean, Georgia barely beat Missouri. You know, when I when I see people like, oh, there's no way Ohio State's beating Georgia after that performance. Well, honestly, objectively, like right now, if you asked me to pick who would win Ohio State or Georgia, I would pick Georgia. But, you know, I saw people questioning whether Ohio State even has like the ceiling to beat Georgia. I mean, Ohio State's ceiling is absolutely still to win the national championship. Like Ohio State absolutely is capable of winning the national championship. Ohio State has to play better than it did on Saturday to win the national championship. I mean, you, I think you could say Ohio State has to play better than it's played the entire second half of a season if if it's going to win the national championship. But the capability is still there. And, and Ohio State, you know, Ryan Day said it on Tuesday, and, it, and it's true. I mean, the most important thing for Ohio State is Ohio State's just got to win every game. I mean, uh, you know, I mean, Ohio State is in is firmly positioned right now that, you know, you, you, you win all the games, you're going to make the college ball playoff. You know, that's really the only thing that, that matters is, is just keep winning. And so, you know, the fact that Ohio state, I mean, they've won every game and they, they haven't even really come particularly close to losing a game. I mean, Penn state certainly gave them a scare. Ohio state still won by multiple scores, you know, the game on Saturday, like, I mean, I don't want you. I mean, I I was never concerned that Ohio State would actually lose that game. Like, it was certainly a much tighter game than I expected it to be. But, you know, I I still was, you know, pretty confident the entire game that Ohio State was still going to win that game. 
And so lackluster performances happen. I, I do think that, you know, perhaps this is a wake up call for Ohio State the next two weeks. Cause I think we saw last week, like you just kind of got the vibe. I mean, even re- during Ryan Day's Tuesday presser, like you got the vibe that Ohio State thought it was going to cruise to a victory in this one and that they weren't taking Northwestern too seriously. And may- maybe this is a kind of a wake up call to Ohio State to say, yeah, you know, just because you're heavily favored to win the game, you know, doesn't necessarily mean it's going to come easily. I mean, I thought even during the press conference on Tuesday, like there were so many questions being asked about like tuning up for Michigan and stuff like that. And in my mind, I'm kind of sitting there like we just saw what happened on Saturday, right? Like, like maybe we shouldn't immediately look past the next two games before we start talking about that Michigan game, because I think probably a little bit of that at least played into Ohio State's heads on Saturday. I mean, I think the weather had a lot to do with it. And I think the reality is that, you know, much like us, Ohio State did not think the weather would be so bad, but it was going to affect the game plan to that degree. So I think that's the primary reason why Ohio State didn't play great in this game. But, you know, certainly I think as we look ahead now to this week's game against Indiana, another game that on paper, Ohio State, should win big. I mean, Ohio State opened as a 38-point favorite. The line has already climbed to 41 points. There's nothing on paper that suggests this game should be close. Indiana is the third worst rushing team in the country. They've averaged only 78.7 yards per game and 2.64 yards per carry. The only teams that are worse than that in both categories are Akron and Boston College. Indiana also ranks fifth to last in passing yards per attempt. So this is a bad offense, both through the air and the ground. They've had quarterback questions. Uh, it does sound as though Connor Bazelak, their starter, will be back this week, but uh, they have played five different quarterbacks this year. None of them have been great. Uh, they also lost their best wide receiver a couple weeks ago, Cam Camper, to a torn ACL. So, uh, you know, offensively, you look at this Indiana team, they don't have any weapons that are going to scare you. And you would think Ohio State should be able to handle this offense pretty well. Flipping over to the other side of the ball, Indiana also ranks outside the top 100 in scoring defense, total defense, and passing defense. Rushing defense isn't much better, 83rd in the country. And so unless there's bad weather, which if you look at the weather forecast for Saturday, it's not ideal. Uh, Right now, it's... A high of 43 degrees, a slim chance of rain, 12%. This was going off what weather.com said on Tuesday afternoon. And uh, moderate winds, uh, 10 to 20 miles per hour. So not ideal conditions, but also not expected to be anything like what we saw in Evanston last weekend. And so if you take weather out of the equation, you look at this game on paper, you would think this should be a a blowout win for Ohio State. I don't know if Ohio State fans are quite as confident about that because of what we saw this past weekend. But on paper, as long as Ohio State, you know, shows up and and plays to its ability, this game really should be lopsided. Yeah, and Indiana started the season 3-0, Dan. That, that, That season opening win against Illinois certainly has aged well, even despite Illinois losing to Michigan State this past weekend. But then you look at their only two other wins this season, were, what was it, a 13-point win over Idaho and then a three-point win over Western Kentucky. Since then, Dan, it's been all losses, six in a row, most recently a 45-14 to 14 loss against Penn State. You know, opposing offenses are putting up some some big point totals against this Indiana defense um, in during that, that skid. And, and certainly that 2020 game where Indiana really gave Ohio State a run for its money in the second half um, seems like a long time ago, especially for the, that, that, you know, Hoosier program which has definitely fallen on on hard times in the two seasons since then. A lot of talk, you know, that, that Tom Allen might be on a bit of a, a hot seat here. Um, you know, perhaps he gets a, another season after beyond this year. Um, but what we've seen this season already with Big Ten head coaches, you know, getting the axe. So uh, his, his seat's definitely warming up, Dan, because his, the success against Big Ten opponents has not been impressive uh, in the least bit the past couple of years for Indiana. Um, it, it is interesting, Indiana has... You know, former Ohio State commit uh, Deshaun McCullough, you know, at at, um, outside linebacker. He's having a a very good freshman season, Dan. Um, So that's just kind of an interesting nugget there. I I think people will remember him decommitting uh, from Ohio State 
what was it in 2021, I believe. Um, so, so he's having a big season, but I don't think, you know, th- th- that's not enough for, for Indiana to, to really seem like a, a big threat to Ohio state on paper. And, uh, you know, despite the fact that Ohio state isn't as hot, it isn't the hottest team in the country, despite the fact that it keeps getting these wins. Um, it's, it still is once again, a chance for Ohio state to get back on track with another dominant performance this weekend. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think, you know, beyond everything we already talked about with Northwestern, like a post Penn State letdown has been kind of a thing for Ohio State over years. So I think we probably should have expected a little bit, but Ohio State maybe wasn't going to be its its sharpest, its best in, in that game at, at Northwestern. And I think that showed on the field. But I, I think I think after this past week, you know, after a, a couple of unspectacular performances, uh, particularly offensively. I think Ohio State's going to come into this game with an edge. I think they're going to come into this game wanting to make a statement, wanting to really get some uh, momentum going again, especially on the offensive side of the ball, especially in the passing game with what happened last week. And I think that if Ohio State you know, comes in at that kind of edge, they're going to have the home crowd back on their side again for the first time in few, a few weeks. So they'll be able to you know, feed off that energy again. I think we see Ohio State you know, get back to really clicking on all cylinders and, and playing dominant brand of football on Saturday. And so even with that line climbing up to 41 points, I think Ohio State is going to cover. I'm going to say Ohio State wins Saturday's game 59 to 10. Wow, wow, wow. I do not have Ohio State covering myself. I'm going to go 45 to 17. Dan, I, I really tanked in the in last week's uh, predictions because a lot of us we all did. <laughs> I, th- I think I was the worst of all, though, because I, I was expecting. I don't know if I was expecting. I, I think really it was just that I made the prediction before I realized what the weather was going to be, as I sometimes you know have to do these predictions on the fly on Tuesdays. But um, yeah, I, I think um, I'm, I've got Ohio State winning 45 to 17 this weekend. Um, you know, I, I, that's still a dominant victory. You know, in in Indiana, certainly its offense, you know, should not be able to put up too many points on this Buckeye defense. Uh, but 17 points, it's still not a lot. Um, I, I think Ohio State beats. That's actually close to the exact score that Penn State beat um, Indiana by this past weekend. I would not be surprised if it was a little bit more lopsided, but that score seems about right to me going into this one. Big weekend uh, of college football playoff shakeups for sure. I mean, like you mentioned, it, you know, when we try to keep things in perspective for Ohio State, that Ohio State is still unbeaten and uh, there's a lot of teams that would like to still be in that boat. Uh, certainly after this past weekend, uh, Tennessee and Clemson as uh, we our, our predictions both for the Ohio State Northwestern game and for the Tennessee Georgia game were not very good because we both predicted that Tennessee would beat Georgia. That was not the case as, as Georgia beat Tennessee, uh, what was it, 28-13 in a, in a game that was really more dominant than the scoreboard suggested, you know, a game that Georgia was in full control of uh, from the beginning, really, uh, as they shut down a Tennessee offense that had had been the number one offense in the country going in, had been averaging over 50 points per game, and Tennessee scored only 13 points in that game. So uh, a dominant performance by Georgia, who you know really reasserted itself as the best team in college football right now. But you know Tennessee suffering that first loss of the year. We knew one of those teams would suffer their first loss. It's it's Tennessee. Um, you know Tennessee uh, still in the CFP mix for sure. Uh, we'll get to that in a minute uh, in terms of kind of you know what we think the picture might look like now, but. You know, two losses that may be, you know, even more consequential in the CFP picture. Clemson suffering its first loss of a year to Notre Dame, and then Alabama suffering its second loss of a year to to LSU, which, you know, that is certainly significant because we had talked last week about that kind of potential scenario where you could have three SEC teams end up with one loss, and then what happens there? But now Alabama out. I think safe to say Alabama is out of the college ball playoff picture now with two losses. LSU is ahead of them in the SEC West standings with a tiebreaker. So unless LSU loses two of its last three games, Alabama is not going to go to the SEC championship game. And so I think Alabama's college football playoff uh, hopes have, have basically been dashed at this point. Uh, Clemson, that one is a little bit more of a question right now because Clemson 
could still finish the year as a one-loss ACC champion. And so I, you would certainly think they would be in the conversation with that. However, you know, I think I think we both kind of felt the same way about Clemson going in, that we, we thought Clemson was in a good position to make it just because their schedule wasn't that strong. But Clemson has not looked like a top four team this year. They, they, they've struggled even some of their wins. And again, I mean, we went into last week thinking Notre Dame could pull that up. Now, I didn't think Notre Dame would dominate Clemson the way it did. But, you know, I think for Clemson to lose that game and, and not even a particularly close game, you know, puts Clemson in a position now where even if it wins out as a one-loss ACC champ, it may be more likely than not that Clemson gets left on the outside looking in right now. I, it's it's hard to say because, you know, I think if you look at the college ball playoff picture, you know, I think right now, I think, for, you know, there's four teams that are unbeaten. Those are the four teams that control their own destiny at this point. If Georgia wins out, it's in. Ohio State, Michigan, whoever wins that game, if that team wins out, it's in. TCU, if it wins out, it's in. Then you kind of, I think you kind of have a a cluster of teams that still have a path to the CFP. I think Tennessee's one of those teams. If it wins out, 11-1, I think is going to very much be in that conversation still. I think the Ohio State-Michigan loser is going to be in that conversation if they're 11-1. and one. Then you have the Pac-12 where you have three teams that still have one loss, Oregon, USC, UCLA. Any one of those teams, if it runs the table and wins the Pac-12, is going to be in the conversation. But you know, USC and UCLA still play each other in the regular season. We know two of those teams are going to play each other in the Pac-12 championship game. Oregon still has... Utah and Oregon State on its regular season schedule. So still a lot that could happen with those three teams. You know, then you have Clemson still there in that conversation as well. If if they can win out, um, you know, as a as a one loss team. The question now becomes, okay, like who's going to be at the top of that hierarchy there of one loss teams? Yeah, Dan. So we, we talked about, you know, in Oregon, for example, or a Clemson you know, how does, if, if they go on to win their conference championship games, both having won losses, for example, how does that stack up against, let's say, a Tennessee that only has one loss and a pretty good loss, given that it's against Georgia, but doesn't have that extra game, doesn't have that conference title? The same can be said with the potential, you know, Ohio State Michigan loser that, you know, how, how, does, how do those teams all stack up? Um, th- there's certainly a lot to be said. I, I think, you know, Oregon's loss being to Georgia is a lot better of a loss than Clemson getting blown out against Notre Dame, who is, you know, now back into the the, 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 the rankings um, in a couple of polls, but at the same time has had some bad losses this season as well. But then again, Oregon getting, you know, blanked really by, by Georgia, a team that it could then potentially play in the CFP. That matchup wouldn't, wouldn't seem too sexy either. So there's certainly a lot of factors to break down, da- to break down. Dan, what do you think about some of that in terms of if you had to rank some of those one loss teams? Yeah, you know, I still I still tend to believe that if if Tennessee wins out, it's it's going to it's going to end up getting in at at, a, at 11 and 1. You know, how exactly that's going to play out around them, I don't know, but I t- I still tend to believe that if Tennessee wins out, if it's only lost being a Georgia, that it, it's it's going to end up in the CFP. You know, and I, and I think, you know, I I I did I saw some people like writing that you know, they thought the Big Ten's chances of getting two teams in was hurt this past weekend because Ohio State, you know, struggled a little bit with Northwestern. You know, Michigan, you know, struggled for a half against Rutgers. I don't agree. I, I, I think the Big Ten's chances of getting two teams in got better this past weekend. I think with, with, with Clemson losing, with Alabama losing, I, I think the Big Ten's chances got better. Now, I still, if I'm sitting here right now, like, do I predict that both Ohio State and Michigan will get in the CFP? Right now, I would say no. Most of our listeners probably like don't even really want to think about that scenario anyway, because I think right now, like people just want to think about is Ohio State going to beat Michigan? I think if if Ohio State loses to Michigan, a lot of a sentiment's going to be we don't deserve to be in the CFP anyway. And so, uh, you know, that's probably a conversation that we can really cross the bridge more uh, when it comes to it in a few weeks, because I think right now the priority for Ohio State is just beating Michigan and trying to stay undefeated and and get into that CFP but I, I I do think that I do think that that path is you know become I I think it's realistic I think you know I think an 11 and one 
loser of that game is going to be in the conversation. Now, whether the conversation trends toward them, I don't know because, you know, we do know that the, the playoff committee is supposed to give preference to conference champs. Would Tennessee or would a, you know, 11 and one Ohio State or Michigan be ahead of a one loss Pac 12 champ, a one loss Clemson ACC champ? Should also, I mean, North Carolina is not out of this yet either. They're, they have one loss. They've got two more ranked opponents this season, NC State, Wake Forest, and then, you know, potentially an AFC, ACC championship game against Clemson. If, if, they can, if they can run the table, they could be in this conversation as well. You know, TCU, again, you know, we talk about if they win out, they're in, but if they have one loss, would they get in with one loss? Uh, that That's hard to say. Like, I would tend to think that of a one loss conference champs we're talking about right now, I feel like the one that probably has the clearest path in I would say would be the Pac-12 champ because I think any of those three teams, Oregon, USC, UCLA, is going to get multiple more ranked wins between now and the end of the season if they finish with one loss. And so I think if any of those three teams finishes with one loss, I think they're going to be in. I just don't know if any of them are going to finish with one loss because I think they have enough tough games left that I wouldn't be surprised if they all lose at least one more game. And so... You know, when I, I look at it right now, like, I mean, I, I look at it, I think George will be the number one seed. I Right now, I'm, I'm going to say I, I think Ohio State will be the number two seed. I mean, I, I will say, like, truthfully, like, am I as confident this week as I would have been a couple weeks ago that Ohio State will beat Michigan? I'm not, but I would still pick Ohio State to beat Michigan right now. I, I still think uh, if I had to pick right now, I'm, I'm going to pick that Ohio State will beat Michigan. And so I, I have Ohio State as my you know, projected two seed right now. I, I tend to think that TCU is going to lose a game still at this point. Um, I, you know, I think right now, like, you know, they're in that position to be, you know, the three or four seed in this thing. But I don't know. I I, I think if I, ha- if I have to pick right now, I'm going to say Georgia, Ohio State. I'm going to say t- Tennessee, gets in there. The, the fourth one is where it really gets tough for me. I still kind of think, you know, Clemson runs runs the table from here on out and they're a one-loss ACC champ. I still think, you know, they, they have a better chance of getting in than maybe people are giving them them credit for. And so, you know, I I'm, I might say Clemson at number four right now, even though I don't, don't think that right now that they look like or should be a top four team. But Dan, okay, if, if Oregon is to win the Pac-12 championship and Clemson wins the ACC championship, Oregon Oregon has to get in. Absolutely. Correct. Absolutely. Okay. Oregon's resume would be much stronger. But yeah, and that's the thing. when I'm, And I think the same would be true between Oregon and TCU if TCU is one loss. Yes. I, I do not have a ton of faith in either Oregon or TCU to necessarily win out. But it feels to me like if I'm – it seems – like a clear picture if I'm to just go Georgia, Ohio State, TCU, Oregon, because that there's cl- there's very clear paths to that as opposed to, to kind of thinking about what would happen if some of those teams took losses there through the rest of the season. But that's what I'm going to go with right now, Dan, just because it, it makes sense in my, my small pea-sized brain. And I, I do think that there's definitely a better than non-zero chance of an SEC Big Ten Invitational here where you have Georgia, Tennessee, Ohio State, and Michigan make up the Final Four. Again, I think that means a lot else would happen. and I don't think a lot of people would be happy about it outside of the SEC and Big Ten, but I, I still feel like there's a chance enough chaos happens around them that that, that could still come to fruition. But it's going to be interesting to see how it all plays out over the next four weeks. Then let's talk some Ohio State hoops because the Buckeyes started the 2022 2023 season on Monday against Robert Morris. Uh, they, they came in uh, favored by 20 and a half points, I believe, end up with a much more dominant win than that, 91 to 53. Um, Robert Morris, you know, didn't have a very successful year last year in the Horizon League. So, you know, this is not a, a top tier opponent by any means. Still, though, a, a pretty impressive win for Ohio State. The, the thing a lot of people were waiting to see was how is Justice Suing going to look in his first game back in 
what, 360 days or something, almost a, a full calendar year because the last time we saw him in an official game for Ohio State was November 12th, 2021. You know, he started the game. He, he did start out the game in the starting five, uh, missed his first two free throws. But then right after that, he really started getting going. Uh, he was making plays, you know, all over the floor, really. He was hitting threes, getting inside, uh, dishing assists, steals, blocks. He did a lot for Ohio State. Ended up leading the team with 20 points on a very efficient night, eight for 14 shooting. And yet, and I, I thought he he looked like, you know, how I kind of thought he, he might look this season if healthy, which is potentially Ohio State's best player. Yeah, I think he certainly did look the part last night. And I think yeah, that's what they need him to be because they don't have EJ Liddell anymore. They don't have Malachi Branham anymore. So they need him to be that you know, kind of go-to guy for them in terms of, of a scorer. And, you know, again, it's it's one game against Robert Morris, so we'll have to see if he can do that consistently. But I think it was a, a very promising sign for him to start the season off that way, especially considering it was his first game in almost a full calendar year. Uh, you know, I think the other guy that you could put right in there in that conversation for being Ohio State's best player is Zed Key. And I thought it was an encouraging start to the year for him too, particularly for the fact that, he hit his first two three-point attempts of a game. And I, I think both of us were admittedly skeptical of this idea that he was going to be able to, you know, shoot the three and be a threat from outside the perimeter of this year. I mean, with good reason, because going into Monday night, he had never attempted a three-point shot in his Ohio State career. And so there was reason to be skeptical about Zed Key suddenly being a three-point threat. But if he can be that, that's a huge advantage for Ohio State because now defenses have to account for him on the perimeter as well as just being a post guy. And I think that'll that can really help with opening things up for the offense and, you know, really forcing teams to, you know, guard everywhere on the floor. And so I think, you know, a, a really good start to the year for Zed Key to, you know, make some frees, uh, you know, 13 points, 10 rebounds, double-double in the first game of the year. I think, you know, those two guys in particular, Justice Suing, Zed Key, are the guys that Ohio State really needs to be able to rely on night in and night out. And so it was a good start to the year for both. Yeah, it was it was funny because, you know, Zed Key in that three-point contest in the blacktop and then in the, the open, you know, scrimmage stuff we watched and, and everything like that, he was shooting the threes. I mean, heard about how, you know, maybe he, he was hitting 33%, about a third of his, his threes in all the preseason work and everything like that. I just hadn't actually seen him really knock down any threes. Even going back to Kingdom League, he took some threes. And so that's why it was so funny that the, the very first points of the season came on a Zed Key three-pointer just like 55 seconds in or something like that. And then he knocked down his second three of the game to, to give Ohio State the lead back after it briefly lost it there in the first half. And so I, I would not expect Zed Key to shoot you know that same percentage moving forward the entire season. Uh, but, but it was certainly a good sign for Ohio State early. And it was certainly indicative of the type of night Ohio State might ha have, considering that was the first shot they sank in that game. Um, Dan Isaac likely as well played the most minutes for Ohio State in the season opener. Um, he certainly seemed, him and Sean McNeil really, those two transfers really seem like kind of glue guys that do very different things for Ohio State, right? So, so Sean McNeil um, as that spot-up three-point shooter that can stretch the floor for the Buckeyes, probably the best three-point shooter. Isaac likely, on the other hand, is a guy that you know, he can he can go coast. to He's, he's not really running the point a, a whole ton with uh, Bruce Thornton on the floor for the Buckeyes. But he's a guy that that can rebound pretty well, given his, you know, six, five, a stocky size, strong guy. Um, so he's a guy that, that can really start fast breaks for Ohio State when he gets defensive rebounds because he just, you know, jets down the floor. A guy that can, you know, steal the ball and, and, and get run out dunks on the other end. Um, and, and certainly, Dan, his, his slashing ability, I thought, was impressive to me. He's a guy that really can can crash into the lane and, and uh, you know, make some things happen at the hoop, although he's not necessarily going to be a three-point shooter um, or at least a, a consistent one very often all season. Yeah, I thought it was interesting how they used Likely because he started, I think he was probably playing like the three when he started the game. And then when Fortin came out, he was moving to point guard. And so, you know, he was playing a lot because, you know, whether he was in the game at point guard, you know, they, you know, they only really have two true point guards in, in Fortin and Likely. And so, you know, he he was playing, you know, that he was playing that point guard role when Fortin wasn't on the floor, but he was also playing when Fortin was on the floor, playing different roles. And so, you know, he seems like a guy who's going to, uh, you know, be really important for them this year, probably more important than I thought he would be when they 
they signed him because I when he initially transferred, I was kind of thinking like, you know, this is a guy who's going to be a role player, you know, maybe a guy coming off the bench. And instead, you know, he 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 started the game and played the most minutes of everybody. He had nine points, nine rebounds, six assists. And so, you know, that's a nice stat line. I almost feel like it's a very imperfect comparison because they're two very different players. But I almost feel like he's filling some of the Kyle Young void on this team in terms of being that you know, kind of a, you know, really good def- defender, really good rebounder, a guy who's got some versatility uh, to play different positions. And again, kind of just being that glue guy for the team. Again, a, a very different kind of player than Kyle Young, but just kind of maybe bringing some of those same attributes to, to the floor uh, as a guy who's, you know, not certainly not a guy they want to be counting on to be, you know, one of their two or even, you know, three or four primary scorers, most likely. But, you know, a guy who's going to play a lot and is going to do a lot of different things for Ohio State on both sides of the floor. Yeah, Kyle Young in attendance for the game last night as well behind the Buckeye bench. That is a good comparison, Dan, although, you know, not positionally and things like that, as you mentioned. But I I totally understand that because, like, I think we might get to some games this year where you're looking at Isaac Likely and you're like, if he can have a a pretty big game for Ohio State, that, that might be an X factor for them, as it often was with Kyle Young, because, you know, sometimes he would have quiet stretches and then sometimes he would put up you know, double-digit points, and, and it would go a long way for the Buckeyes. I can certainly see that kind of being, you know, a, a trend for them this year as well. I think we should mention as well, because because Tanner Holden was really the star of that exhibition. Um, he ended up with another double-digit uh, scoring night. I think he ended up with, what, 12 points yep. off the bench for the Buckeyes, five for five, I believe, from the field. So another really good night for him. I don't know if some people thought that he might actually start for the Buckeyes after having that big exhibition game. I, mean, I did. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, but, you know, I, I did think that, that justice suing coming back would, would get into that starting lineup. Um, you know, I was a little bit surprised that, that Bryce Sensabaugh started in the exhibition, as a matter of fact, you know, over a guy like Tanner Holden in the first place. But um, so we kind of saw how it worked out there with Thornton uh, McNeil likely ensuing. Uh, and, and then key is the starting lineup. Four of those guys then being, uh, my draftees when we did our little yeah, team, your team draft. Your team looks a little better now that you have the whole starting backcourt <laughs> and just assuming looking like he could, in fact, be the best player on the team. Yes. Yeah, so, so, so things are going well for me in terms of that so far. But, you know, if Tanner Holden continues to play like he's playing, you know, that that's certainly a big pickup for you as well. Um, you know, in terms of uh, the freshman kind of, you know, it's going to be a mixed bag with the freshman. I, I'm kind of surprised at, between the exhibition and then the season opener that, that Bruce Thornton hasn't had a little more success in terms of, you know, just scoring a, a few more buckets. Um, I, I, the the freshman that had the biggest night was actually Sensabaugh himself. He had 17. But Dan, most of that was really when the game was was well in hand, when Ohio State had a 30, 40 point lead at the end of the game. I don't want to I don't want to try to make this sound as if it's like an insult or anything. But I did refer to Bryce Sensabaugh as a garbage time All-American uh, last night, because I think the, the less formal the basketball setting the more Bryce Sensabaugh shines because I've now seen him play at the Kingdom League. I've seen him play on the blacktop for Ohio State. Now I've seen him at the end of a game against kind of a lesser opponent. He really shines when he can kind of, you know, have a little more of a, a, a little more flexibility to kind of show off his his range of talents. Um, but, you know, a, a big game in terms of stats, but it wasn't really all that consequential towards the end result for Ohio State when you look at what he was able to do early versus late in that game. Yeah, I think Sensabaugh is a guy that you watch him and there are times where he looks like a guy who's going to be a star for Ohio State, and there are times where he looks like a true freshman. You know, and I think I think it's probably what you're going to see from him a lot. You know, especially early in the year. I, I, I mean, you know, obviously I've been very high on his stock, and I, I do think that he's a guy who you can clearly see the potential is there for him to, you know, go in and 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 take over a game. And I think we're going to see him do that at times. But I think there's also probably going to be times where he has bad games, and so. You know, I think that's something you're going to have to work through with with him as a freshman. But I think you can certainly see, you know, the flashes there with him for the potential, the kind of player he has the ability to be. Um, You know, it's it's probably going to take some time, though. I mean, I think he's not he's not a guy who's coming in as polished as a Malachi Branham. He's a guy who's probably going to, you know, I I think his potential is super high for what he can become at Ohio State. But it's probably going to take him time to be able to get there and, and do it on a regular basis. But, you know, I think just overall, you know, my takeaway, like, I think the thing I like about this team is, you know, we talked about it, like, you know, Tanner Holden, you know, coming off the bench, you know, Bryce Sensabaugh making an impact off the benches, you know, just feels like there's a lot of versatility with this team. 
there's the ability to run a lot of different lineups, uh, more so than I think we've seen in past years from Ohio State to where, you know, I think the starters, you know, the starting lineup could change from game to game, but I also think there's just less of a gap between the starters and the backups than maybe we've seen on some Ohio State teams in the past. And so, you know, you'd obviously love to have Malachi Branham and EJ Liddell out there. You'd love to have guys like that. And, you know, obviously you're going to hope that, you know, maybe a Justice Suing can be that kind of player. Maybe a Zed Key can be that kind of player. We'll, we'll see. We can't say that after one game. But it, I, I think just the versatility this team has, I mean, again, I think we saw, you know, there were nine guys who played at least 14 minutes last night. Uh, you know, I think, you know, all nine of those guys, at least early in the year, are going to have pretty regular roles in that rotation. And that could expand to 10 once Eugene Brown re- returns from his concussion. And so they've got a lot of movable pieces, the ability to do a lot of different things. Uh, it's not always going to come as easy as it did last night. I mean, Robert Morris is is not a, expected to be a good team this year. And so uh, there are going to be much bigger challenges to come for this Ohio State team. But overall, I come out of that game encouraged by what I saw from Ohio State. I think uh, I think it was a strong start for a team that has basically a brand new roster and and something that Ohio State can build off for sure. And Dan, I know you thought that that Bowen Hardman, kind of the the forgotten freshman in the, in that class, if you will, was was going to redshirt this season just with with Chris Holtman saying that he's not physically able to play on both ends of the floor right now. I wasn't I wasn't as, as sure that he was going to redshirt just because if you remember last year they came out early and said that that Kalen Etzler was going to redshirt like it was it was made it was that was established like very early on and that was never really a part of the conversation um, with Bowen Hardman. But he ended up playing last night and, and therefore burning his redshirt. You know, who knows what what might lie in the future for him if he ends up, you know, finishing his his career in an Ohio State uniform or not. That, that remains to be seen. But um, right now, it looks like he's going to not be playing a whole lot of minutes for Ohio State this year. Yeah, no, I, I got that one wrong. So got a cop to that one. But I was I was wrong when I said that I thought uh, he was he was going to redshirt this year. But, you know, I mean, red, red shirts are pretty rare in college basketball. I just I my thinking was, well, if he's the 12th man this year, you know, maybe it would make sense to redshirt him and preserve his four years of eligibility. But looks like, you know, they're going to get him in there when they can and, you know, see see how uh, his role uh, develops over the course of a season. But, you know, I mean, but, I mean, the good thing for Ohio State right now is, again, I think they, they do have a lot of depth. They have a lot of guys that can play, um, you know, a lot of a lot of guys who are going to have to work through things. And, you know, there's not you know, you know, there's definitely, you know, a lot of these guys I think are going to have ups and downs over the course of a season. But, you know, I just think, you know, to see, you know, nine, nine guys play regularly, nine guys scoring, you know, knowing Eugene Brown can be added to that mix as well. I, I just think the depth and versatility of this team gives it a chance. You know, I, I mean, I, I, you know, again, after one game, I, I still have no idea how, how good this team is going to be this year. I, I think we're really not going to have any real idea on that for at least a couple of weeks un, until Ohio State goes to Maui and we see this team play against some stronger competition. But, you know, promising start and will be interesting to see how this team continues to develop in the weeks to come. Yeah, and game two is coming uh, up pretty soon as well because Ohio State hosts Charleston Southern at 630 at the shot on Thursday. So you'll have another chance to see this young Buckeye team uh, take some strides here early in the season. And Ohio State football back on the field Saturday at noon. Uh, fourth noon game in a row to start the second half of a regular season for the Buckeyes. That game will be Fox's big noon game of the week. And as always, we will be at Ohio Stadium bringing you full coverage on 11warriors.com and back here on Real Pod Wednesdays next week to break it all down. Thank you for listening in and enjoy the rest of your week.